Today's daf is Nun Tet. Um, we pick up um, on the bottom of Nun Chadamut Bet, and we are in the middle of Nun Chadamut Bet, um, and we are where it says Gidol Bar Reili, about six lines before the lines get wide. We're dealing with this whole issue about Sikrakon. And when it sees the property is, is seized because your life is being threatened, whether you ha- whether it's considered that the Sikhako now owns it after 12 months that the owners didn't buy it back, that was the second level of the Kana. The first level of the Kana was you had to buy it both from the Sikhako and the original owner and in the right order so the original owner would not feel compelled. Okay, so Gidal Bari Ili, Kabil Arabitaska, Baga. So Gidobar Ili um, took the land by paying the, uh, the head tax or whatever, the, the, some type of a land tax from the people of the valley, which basically the story was, was that um, you owned the land, the fields were divided, um, and you paid the, uh, the, certain, the, uh, the land tax, and uh, you kept the produce. It was your land. But apparently the owners had, had, uh, had uh, abandoned their property, and who knows where they were. They were vacationing somewhere in Hawaii. And the, the and the, but the entire community was responsible for the tax of that valley. So you could, you know, it wasn't just the owner's bad luck. They had to find somebody that was going to pay the tax. Um, so what they did was they got this Gidobar Ely guy and they said, listen, buddy, here's what we're going to do. You work the land in the absence of the owners. You can keep the produce and you just pay their tax. Okay, great. So he gets he's so good deal for him, good deal for everybody. That's what they did. All right. Now, Akdim Viyahis Duzay the class Shinin. He got a little over eager and he prepaid the tax for three years. All right, and, and he hoping that he would work the land for three years and keep all the produce. Lusof Asamar Vasa Kamai. But then, of course, what happened was after the first year, the original owners returned and they wanted their land back. Okay, and it was their land. So what's he going to say? Well, I already paid the government the tax. I'm entitled to work on your to use your land. It's my land. Okay, it's very nice that you paid the whatever. So the owner said the most reasonable thing. Amrulay, they said to him, listen, Shata Kamai to the Ahivis Achlis. The first year you paid the tax and you ate the produce. We weren't around because hey, Tashta. From this point on, it's our land. We're now going to resume paying the tax to the government and we're going to take the produce. Very reasonable thing. It is their land. Also, we come to Papa. So they came to Papa. So Rav Papa thought that what you would that what he would do would be that he would write a like a torfa torfa is like a deed that allows him to collect like a writ of basin that allows him to collect to recoup his taxes from the uh, people of the uh, uh, of the uh, what do you call it of of the valley. Hold on, let me just check Rashi about this one minute. Uh, make sure I'm getting this right. Um, Right. Okay, yeah. So he basically um, so he basically said, look, this guy's entitled to get his taxes back. You appointed him. You basically were the ones that asked him to do this. Of course, as we're going to see, nobody asked him to pay three years in advance. Okay, so but now, so now he's out the advance tax money he pays. He should be able to collect from you guys. Okay, so Amalei Rav Huna braid Rav Yoshua Rav Papa. So Rav Huna says Rav Papa in Cain Asita Sikrakone. You've made it into a case of a Sikrakone. Now why is that a make case of a Sikrakone because Rashi says um, that um, well let me just check Rashi again hold on
Yeah, so it's a little hard to understand the exact analogy, but the way Rashi is explaining it is that the same way in the case of the cone, what happens is somebody sees the land, the cone sees the land by the second state, state, state of the cone, where you only reimburse the owners for like, you know, for, the, for a quarter because you got a discount of a quarter. But you basically buy it from the cone, and even though the original land belonged to the owners, you don't have, you're not going to lose as a result that it belonged to the owners, um, and you get to keep the land, okay? So they're sort of saying, well, you made this something similar. The owners left. You made it like the people of this valley were, had, were taking possession of the land, like they had somehow a right to give it to this guy. And this guy, now that the original owners return, doesn't, isn't going to have to lose out anything. And you're going to have to make him whole. Okay? So you're sort of trying to make it something like this case of the cyclicone in the sense that this guy paid for the right for the land. It wasn't really his land, but uh, we're, we're not going to make him lose out. And that's sort of like the cyclicone. You bought the land from the cyclicone, and we're not going to make you lose out. But of course, this isn't the case of the cyclicone because, because nobody sees the land, took possession of it, threatening somebody's life. It isn't that scenario at all. So, you know, so therefore, if this guy, so, so there's no fundamental assumption that he has a right to buy the land, and if the owners show up, he's not going to lose out. There's none of that a basic assumption. Okay? El Amarav, Huna Breda of Yeshua, he near most of all, cannot see. It's like you put your money on the, on the, on the head of a deer. Meaning, it's like you three, you, we say you flush your money down the toilet. Nobody asked you to prepay for three years. Okay? And you have no fundamental right just because the owners abandoned the land. That he has no fundamental presumption. Oh well, and now I'm buying it from the Bnei Bagi, and uh, I'm 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 I'm, insu- I'm, insu- I'm I'm insured that I will not lose out in the deal. So it's not at all like the Sikrakon. Okay, nobody was seizing the land. It was just dealing with the fact that they had to get their taxes paid. And uh, too bad that you prepaid and you flushed that money down the toilet. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, when the owner comes back, is he going to have to pay those taxes? Yes. So the government is going to... What can he just do with the guy and say, look, you paid it for me. Right. Right. So that's a good question. Meaning, if he, since those taxes were already prepaid, right, why can't the owner, just since he's now saved that money, prepay this guy? So Raji makes it sound like, and I don't really understand this, Raji makes it sound like now that the owner is back, he's going to have to pay the taxes to the government as well. Like the government's going to double collect. Okay. Though, so that's the way Raji makes it sound. But the, but the idea of Hiniach most of all Karen Suzy, sometimes could even mean that like okay you did me that favor but that doesn't entitle me you know thank you very much for, for paying off my taxes right that doesn't obligate me to to uh, you know pay for you if you went ahead and you walked into the IRS office and you said I know Dove Linzer is pe- behind on his taxes let me write out a check and you gave it to them right is that so clear that now you can sue me back for that money you know you, you did it and nobody asked you to do it it might be the appropriate thing but you know but the is trying to talk about like what the sort of legal obligation is, but in the most of the currency sometimes is used even in those types of cases where there might be some moral responsibility. But the Gemara is saying, but okay, but legally you're not bound. All right, so now the Gemara continues. Zumishna Rishonah. So that was an interesting case. It was a little strange because it was not clear what the analogy was but that was essentially what the Gemara was saying is there is no analogy so therefore he threw his money away alright so the first position was you had to buy it both from the Sikrakon and the owner the later stage was that basically presumably were that after a year implicitly the owner was right, waiving his right or his hope that he would ever get it back so he was like totally miyayish and if he didn't buy it back in a year you could buy it from the Sikrakon and you don't 
only have to pay the owners a quarter because that's how much you got it discounted. Um, okay, I'm a, now how do you figure out the quarter? So this is going to be a little confusing. Amarav, Revia Bakarka or Revia Bema'ot. It's either a quarter of the land or a quarter of the money. Now, it starts, it's easier to understand it as a quarter of the money and it's always confusing because a quarter sometimes means a fifth depending on how you figure it. So, if you basically bought $100, paid, paid $100 for the land, okay, a quarter of that money is 25, right? So basically, which means that really the land was worth 125 and you got it discounted, right, 20%, which is 25. Okay, so you got it discounted 20, so it's, um, maybe I'm already making it more confusing than necessary. Anyway, the point is, you pay the owners a quarter of the purchase price that you got it for, because that's how much you got off from the actual original price. So if you paid 100, it really was worth 125. So you pay the owners 25. Okay, so that's Revia Bemos. You pay them a quarter of the purchase price that you paid for. Now, Revia Bakarka means that, or alternatively, you could take this land that you now bought, and now it does not mean you give the owners back a quarter of the land, because if you now bought this land for 100, but it's really worth 125, what segment of the land do you have to give them back in order that they get 25, essentially $25 worth of land? You bought this land, it was, you paid 100, but it's worth 125, so how much do you have to give them back? They get 25, how much? A fifth. Right. So Revia Bakarka actually means a fifth of the land, okay? It's all very confusing. But anyway, okay, so I understand. So anyway, you give them a quarter of the way Rashi says You pay them back a quarter of the purchase price, okay, or that amount equivalent in land, which would wind up being a fifth of the land. Okay, that's rough. But the basic point is $25, a quarter of the purchase price. The Shmuel Amar, Revia Bekarka, Shin Shlish Bema'ot. No, what you actually do is you have to pay them a third of the purchase price, okay, 33 and third dollars, okay, which is because that, that he feels that you actually got a bigger discount, okay, so if it was, you paid 100, it was worth 133 or something. Now, if you're paying a 30, now, if you're paying, giving him back $33, okay, everybody with me here, okay, and so, and, so, and so you're giving me back a third of the purchase price, how much would that be of the land itself? Land is worth 133, so how much of the land do you have to give him back? If land is worth 133 and you have to give him 33 of it, how much are you giving him back? A quarter. Okay, so that's what Shmuel says. A quarter of the karka means literally a quarter of the karka, which is really a third of the money. So, but basically, so the karka part is a little bit there to confuse you. But anyway, Rav says it's a quarter of the purchase price and Shmuel says it's a third of the purchase price. Okay, the Mike Mifligi. Marsabar Gabi Revia Zavin. Nechi Revia Zavin. One says you got a quarter discounted. Umarsabar, meaning, so if you paid 100, it was worth 133. They knocked off a quarter of the actual value. Umar Savin, the other one holds, you got, you got it, uh, you got 20% discounted, okay? If you paid 100, it was worth 125. All right. Now, Mesve. This is the first teaching. But the second teaching said, if you purchase from the Sikrakon, no say Labalim Revia. You pay the owners a quarter. We're trying to now figure out what a quarter means. And the owners have the right to choose how they want that money paid back. They can say, give me back that equivalent in the land that you just bought. Or they can ask for it in cash. Amos, so, so far it doesn't prove anything to this debate. Amos, when is this true? If they can't buy it back themselves. If they can buy it back themselves, they have the first right to purchase it back. And we're going to see in a minute that up till 12 months. Rebbe Hoshi Beitin Benimnu, Rebbe made a sort of convened a Beitin and they took a vote. 
It was 12 months in the hand of the Sikrakon, after, and the owner did not buy it back, and they had 12 months to buy it back. And then anybody is free to buy it. You have to pay the owners back a quarter of the land or a quarter of the money. So because this Brita ends with the phrase a quarter of the money, we're assuming that that's evidence to Rav. That if you paid 100, you pay the owners 25. That's evidence to Rav. So Amr Ravashi, so how are we going to make it work with Shmuel? No, no, no. A quarter of the money means that if it was according to Shmuel, Shmuel said, I pay the owners 33, right? So after I pay the owners 33, how much now have the owners got of the total money that I expended? I paid the, the, the Sikrakon 100. I paid the owners 33. What percent does the owners have of the total amount that I spent out of pocket? Out of pocket I spent 133, right? Mm-hmm. The owners got 33, that's a quarter. So you could refer to it as a quarter of the money for works for Shmuel. For Rav it's a quarter of the purchase price mm-hmm. 25. For Shmuel it's a quarter of the total amount of money you're going to spend out of pocket but between both the cyclicone and the owners. Okay? So you give the cyclicone 100 the owners 33. You've given the owners a quarter of the money that you spent out of pocket. Fine. I'm sure we all found that very stimulating. Let's move on. <laughs> I'm a Rav. So now said Rav. A little bit of a digression. I'm a Havai you know what? This is quite fascinating because, you know, we often say Rav Tanahu Palig. Rav was this transitional figure between the Tanaim and the Amorayim. So now we're going to have a little bit of a report that Rav says, you know, it says Rebbe convened a Bastin. So Rebbe was the end of the Tanaitic period. So Rav says, I was in that Bastin that Rebbe convened when we took the vote about the cyclicone. Okay, so there you go. Okay. And they asked for my vote first. I was the first one to vote on that issue of the cyclicone. Okay, so the Gemara now now come ahead, totally digress and talk about oh that's an interesting way of running a, a vote of having a vote don't we teach in the Mishnah when a basin takes a vote if it's monetary matters or tumantara you know sort of ritual matters in general so you have the uh, you have the oldest person give their vote first you know the senior person give their vote first because that's just a sign of respect um, and also as we're going to see if, you know people might be a little bit uh, hesitant to to disagree when the senior person says their opinion, but they're entitled to disagree, okay? So that's how you run it if it's a normal case. Um, but, Dine Nefar shows, if it's a case of a capital crime, Matzchil Minat Sad, then you have a, a, somebody who's not the senior person. You start from the side, not from the head. Begin. Because you want people, number one, to feel much freer to voice their opinions, right? Somebody's life is at stake. And if the uh, senior authority speaks first, everybody else is going to just, you know, go along, be yes men. Okay? So number one is you want to make sure, you want to structure it so that everybody feels comfortable voicing their opinion. Also, as Rashi says, there's a dresser from the Pasuk, Lota Ne'al Riv, do not sort of like respond to a fight which the drush is lotane el rav that you're not allowed to challenge a, a senior authority um, when they give their opinion about a court case but that's only read in cases of dine nefashos okay so in a dine nefashos case you know A in general if a senior authority speaks first you're lax to disagree and B you're actually not allowed to disagree so in dine nefashos cases we have to start from the side from a minor person whereas dine mamadis anything else we can start from the senior person so the question is this wasn't dine since it wasn't Dine Nefashos, 
How did Rav start the vote? Maybe he should have started the vote. Mm-hmm. Okay? So the Gemara says, I'm a Rabbi Braid Rava, Vitema Ravhilia Braid Ravalis, just a word of name, Valis. Shani um, Minyana to be Rebbe. No, no, no. Rebbe's court was different. Even in all cases, they started, um, they started with, with a mind, you know, not with the head. Rebbe did not start the vote. And Tosus explains, basically, because of other Gemaras we know, like the end of Sota. Everybody remembers what the last mission Sota said? When Rebbe died? Basel Anava, right? So Rebbe was humble, so humble that even in cases in which he was entitled to give the first vote, he chose to not. He chose to there to be free, dif- you know, free debate, free discussion, let the other people start the vote, and he voted at the end. Okay? So that's how Rav could have voted first, even though it was a case that Rebbe should have voted first. You know, the head should have voted first. Rebbe allowed other people, you know, Rebbe was Moch, Rebbe was a Mocha on that. Um, which, in the end, is better anyway. It allows for freer discussion. Okay. Um, now, because we made that comment about Rebbe, or that implicit comment about his Anava, and he, we talked about him convening a basin, now the Gemara is going to continue in that vein. Um, so now another statement about from from these uh, from, from 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 this uh, from this tradition from you know from this Amora. Um, from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu until Rebbe, Lomatina We've never had a case where in one generation all the, the greatest Talmud Chacham and the greatest, uh, you know, sort of Gidola, uh, authority, or Rashi says it means wealth, but one might say sort of societal status you know were, were in one person were combined in one person you know and obviously we've had people that were great we've had people of great wealth and of great stature but that would be the same person that would be both that we've never had since Moshe Rabbeinu of course it's an interesting question because you know other things make it sound like Rebbe was not necessarily the biggest Hamachacham of his time um, but uh, so does it mean he was the best of both of them or was that degree of stature combined with that degree of Torah knowledge you know, never occurred all in one person until, you know, from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu until now. Yes? This would seem to violate the principle of Yerida Hadoro. <laughs> well, no, because it's all relative. Meaning, you know, in any generation that one person should have both of those together, right? Anyway, so, okay, so the Gemara says, below, is that really true? That, that, that this is, that, that it was not from then until now? Have Yehoshua. Um, so how about in the time of Yehoshua? He was the king, and he was presumably Moshe's student, so he was the biggest Talmud Chacham as well. So the Gemara says, no, have a lozer. No, there was a lozer there, who also, you know, was our own student, big Talmud Chacham. He had a lot of authority. Now, one could ask this question, because, I mean, still the authority of the king is a little bit greater than the authority of the Kohen Gadol, but, uh, I don't know, maybe one is a religious authority, and one is a, t- one is a political authority. Okay. So the Gemara says, at least anyway, he had a real competitor there for that title. So the Gemara says, have a lozer. So fine, when Yoshua died, a lozer, he was the only guy in town. He was the mate. He had both of those combined. And I said, no, Havi Pinchas. There were Pinchas that were still alive. <laughs> so, who also presumably was a big Talmud Chacham and a lot of authority. Again, he wasn't the Queen Gadol, though. You know, so again, one wonders exactly what, like, you know, like, it, like it's basically saying there was nobody comparable, not exactly nobody, nobody exactly equal. Because, you know, Pinchas and Elazar were both Kohanim. They weren't even one, wasn't one political, one religious, and Elazar was a Queen Gadol. Anyways, the Gemara says, Havi Pinchas. So what? what? We're talking about the relative, both the relative stature and the relative uh, the combination of the two. <laughs> yeah, like you know, sure, sure, he was in charge, but he was, and he was, a, a, he was a big Talmud Chacham, but this was also a big Talmud Chacham. So, Yeshua wasn't that much 
ahead of... Right, right. Gap. So it wasn't a huge gap. Okay, right. They, they, they were in the same ballpark. He was the acknowledged <laughs> leader, and he was far, a far... Well, it seems to say he was... <laughs> he was the far greatest Tavagaka. Right. right. So it seems to be like there's nobody in the ballpark, it seems to say. It's not like an exact question, oh, you get a 98 and you get a 96, you know? There's nobody in the ballpark. So the question is, Ahavi Pinchas, how about when Elazar died? Pinchas was the man. No, Ahavi became him. No, they were the elders. Now, of course, and they also had some, you know, political authority as well, and they were understand as, you know, in the line of tradition from Moshe to Yahushua, yes. But it says repeatedly, say for Shokin, came Mel to Yisrael. Yeah. Yeah, ever, and then everyone was doing their thing. There wasn't really much. No, but there were show. I mean, there were show team. There were political political authority. But and, you're right. And Pinkus certainly is never described as a show. Right? right, right, right. Well, we're not saying necessarily political authority. It might be religious authority. So Gemara says, okay. Have, so Gemara says, how they show? How about show? He was a king, and according to rabbinic tradition, he also was a big Talmud Chacham. No, how about Shmuel? Who again wasn't a king, but he was like the head religious authority. Okay, so Gemara says, "Anach Nafshe." One minute, but Shmuel died while Shaul was still alive. So, uh, so Shaul at least at that stage was the only guy in town. But it says no, cool Shani coming. We mean somebody that his entire life he was, or entire let's say professional life. You know, he was the only person he no, he was never contested. There's no no equivalent. Gemara says, "Ahavi David, have a David king and a big Talmud Chacham." As we know, anybody who learned brachos knows that. Okay, so it says, nope, um, but you never even heard of Irahayi'iri. Okay, anyway, but according to the British tradition, he was like a huge Tamachachim. Now, the funny thing about this is, he might have been a huge Tamachachim, but he certainly wasn't anybody who had any, any authority, right? Until now, we've been dealing with people that had it both. So is that enough that you're not entitled to this mantle if, you know, somebody else is equivalent to you in one of those areas? So it seems like the, the, the response is getting to be a little weaker, okay? Um, like Rashi just says, he doesn't address the other sense of the gedula. Um, so one minute, but uh, this uh, this uh, yeah, what's his name guy died while David was alive. Irahayiri. Um, so no, Kulishani being a nope. So David wasn't the only the only guy with uh, of, of of that authority his entire career. Have a Shlomo, have a Shlomo. So he was you know big Talmud Chacham, and you know nobody was as wise as him in the land, and he was king. Have Shimi ben Gera, who again was seen as a big Talmud Chacham uh, again not with the same authority so one wonders what the exact response is anyway Vakatle oh, but Shmuel dealt with that problem I mean uh, uh, Shlomo he killed him he killed Shimi Ben Gera ah but he wasn't uncontested his entire career okay. I understand how about King Chizkia which also we assume he was a big Talmud Chacham how Shevna he had this, uh, there was Shevna who was also seen as a, uh, as, as a sage. So the Gemara says, one minute, um, Ha Ikto, Shevna was killed. No, Kulei Shani Gaminim, but, okay, but Chizkia wasn't, wasn't, didn't hold this, uh, you know, didn't, didn't hold this status his entire career. Why Shevna and not Yeshiyato? I have no idea. Okay, Vahave Ezra, Habra Ezra. Right, Ezra Sofer, right, political leader, religious leader, Yushav Gomer Havi, Nechemia ben Chilkia. Ah, but what about Nechemia? All right, so we now have answered all the problems. I'll say similarly, Miyamil's Rebbe, the Ad Rav Ashi, from the time of Rebbe until Rav Ashi, Romatina Torah We haven't had that. So now Rav Ashi also, he has apparently was a person, I, you know, we don't know this about Rav Ashi, but a person of great wealth or stature. I don't know if he had political 
political authority anyway, and he also was the biggest Talmud Chacham, so he also but, but uh, was like, like this model of combining these two, that so we haven't had anybody like that from the time of Rebbe. So the says, Velo? No? Vahahave? Huna? Barnasan? How about Huna Barnasan? Apparently had both of these qualities. But says, no. Shani Huna Barnasan? No, he actually was not the main authority because he actually was uh, submitted himself to the authority of Ravashi, so that is not a good, a good counterexample. Okay, that was an interesting end to that whole discussion. Um, all right. So now the Gemara says like this, but you're right, it's not a Yerida Sadoras type of a thing. It says like, you know, things go on a hiatus, but then you have some, you know, going back to, uh, to the old times. Okay, now the Gemara says like this, Cheresh, back to Tikkun Olam types of things, but, you know, we're sort of moving a little away, and the phrase of Tikkun Olam has a little bit dropped by the wayside, because we're moving to Rabbinic Takano to address sort of uh, problems, sometimes changing circumstances, like this Sikrakon, and maybe like, you know, but it's, they're not like necessarily, uh, like the Tikkun Olam seems to be addressing like deep societal systemic issues that we had to take on. Um, these are seen as like a little a bit more like, you know, Prusbo, um, what were some of the other Tikkun Olam issues I'm trying to now to remember, oh, the Avadim, the Tikkun Shruyim, and so on. Although, you know, this one that we're about to look at seems to be as broad in this Mishnah, um, does seem to be as broad as some of those others, but nevertheless, um, it's interesting that the phrase Tikkun Olam a little bit drops by the wayside. So let's take a look. Cheresh Romes Vinirmas. So Cheresh is a deaf mute. Now, I want to say something about deaf mute. There's not going to be a full analysis of that. We had some of that in Yavamos. Um, but, um, you know, deaf mute, as you know, is, is considered halacha to be not a bardas, um, to be not of a you know, full mind, full intellectual capacities, and as such, he cannot enter into, like, legally binding transactions, buying and selling, kiddushin, gerishin, like, any type of thing, you know, he has mitzvot, he can't blow shofar for somebody, he's not, you know, chayav and mitzvot, he's not a bardas, like a minor. Now, that being said, there is an opinion in the Gemara that actually does consider him to be a bardas, or at least says that you would have a case-by-case uh, uh, um, inspection of him, and you would determine on a case-by-case basis how aware he was and so on um, and even those that say he's not a Bardath um, you know it's, he's in a different category than like a Shota a Shota is somebody who's seen as like you know uh, um, unable to properly uh, interpret reality maybe like schizophrenic or something whereas a uh, whereas he is considered to be like okay he might be like weakened the Das but not completely not a Bardath and that's going to allow for us to make actually some Takanot and allow him to play a certain type of role within the society now of course this is to some degree understandable, you know, before they had education for the deaf, and when they really felt that, you know, he wasn't able to understand what I'm saying, I can't understand what he's saying, you know, maybe they make, you know, weird gestures, or they talk funny, or whatever, you know, so, so there was this perception, like, he really can't really fully understand. Now, the other interesting thing is, is that I had always assumed, like, how often do you have somebody who's both deaf and mute? Like, usually you get somebody who's deaf, but then, you know, so, hey, Harris, deaf, mute, how often did that happen? What I don't think I have appreciated was that they were basically defining almost every deaf person as deaf mute because deaf people were not able to talk in an intelligible way so the, so because you know they can't hear their own talk and they can't modulate how they're talking so so it was really the rare Kheresh who was just deaf was somebody who actually had mostly had been born hearing and then lost their hearing so pretty much every deaf person was put into this category what you wind up having and this is not for us but it's not going to even really come up in the Gemara but what you wind up having is in 
the last few hundred years, especially when they started the schools for the deaf, and it was very obvious that the, that somebody could be deaf and, you know, even if they couldn't uh, talk in an intelligible way, you know, and be quite intelligent and clearly communicate and so on, that it led many post skim to have a, hal- a reassessment halachically about how to define this category. Um, some sort of tried to sort of finesse it by saying that if they're able to talk via sign language, um, then they're not, then they're not defined as, as mute. Then they are talking. They're just talking through sign language. Um, so, you know, technically they're not in the category of Cheresh anymore. Anyway, but that's important because that, to understand that even in the Gemara, they were seen as having a good, you know, a, a good degree of Das. Not enough Das, but a good degree. So that's why we have the following Takana. Cheresh Rome Zinirmas. They can actually engage in buying and selling through gestures. So, you know, through their gestures, you know, they point to the object that they want and they hold out $10 or whatever. Through their gestures, you know, even though they can't fully express anything, they can engage in transactions. And that was a rabbinic takana because it was assumed that the oraita, they're not bardas and it's not binding. Even if it isn't like hand gestures, even if it's just like, um, you know, uh, jumping up and down, um, that also is a sufficient gesture. Whereas presumably the Chachamim felt that that was too hard to interpret. Um, now all of this is about purchase of, of chattel not of land land was seen to be too weighty of a purchase that we um, you know that we didn't basically and there wasn't enough of a need to institute this takana as we'll see the basic need to institute the takana is how are you supposed to go about your life if nobody will sell you uh, you know you can't go to the store and buy and buy milk and eggs I can't sell it to you because you're a cheresh so you know it's not going to be binding or then I'm going to get in trouble and you're going to ask for the money back and you say you didn't mean it or who knows what right so in order to just engage in normal life you have to be able to do basic types of buying and selling but karka that was seen as A not necessary and B too weighty that we didn't want to that we did not make a takana for that um, now hapeuto similarly peuto which are young kids mekhan mekachumemkarin they can buy and sell chattel so you can send your kid to the store and that works at a rabbinic level even though they're right though they're not yet an adult let's take a look at the Gemara this is this debate about whether jumping up and down is works as, or just or just hand gestures. That's about the metalpolin case of our Mishnah. when it comes to a get, remember Gitin? Everybody said that you have to do a hand gesture, you can't jump up now. What's the case of a get? If somebody a man married a woman while he was let's talk about the man. I mean it's relevant to the woman also, but let's talk about the man. When he was hearing, and then after he was married and it was a right to binding marriage, he became deaf and mute. In that type of a case, there's no way to get out of the marriage because he is a full Doraisa marriage, and if he's not a Bardas, he can't give a get. Okay? But if he was a deaf mute when he entered into the marriage, then it was only the same way we allowed a Cheresh to purchase property, to purchase and buy and sell. We were instituted, this is actually interesting, you would have expected this to be the first thing to be said in Mesechus Gitin, but okay, we, we instituted a Kiddushin for a Cheresh. This actually comes up in a Mishnah Yevamos. Okay, we allowed a Cheresh to get married, or a Cheresha to get married, and we instituted a Rabbinic Kiddushin. Okay, if they're married only, the, as long as one party is a Cheresh, the man or the woman, it's only binding rabbinically. If if, they, if that was their state when they got married, okay? So if they are, if it's rabbinic kiddushin and they're cheresh, and one of them is a cheresh and it's rabbinic, let's say he's a cheresh, then when it's time to get divorced, since it was only a kiddushin rabbinically, we 
will allow him to get divorced rabbinically as well. And he can signal to the sofer, you know, he can say like this and whatever he's doing, you know, and he signals and it's clear that he wants to get written to give to his wife and that's okay even though he hasn't said anything. Okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Anyway, so that's the case. So when do we say that jumping up and down might work according to Ben Batera? That's by Metatlin. But by a get, that's, again, in the case of, a, of, of when the whole Kiddushin was only rabbinic because he was a cherish when he got married. So in the case of, a, of that, of, of a get, everybody requires the more, the clearer act of Ramiza. So the Moshe says, that's obviously because Metatlin's not our mission is talking about Metatlin. No, now to tell you after Metatlin, I might have thought our mission meant that, every, that jumping up and down, maybe, certainly, you know, the debate is by the get, that's also a debate by a get. But maybe by Metatlin, I would have said the opposite. Everybody needs Ramiza because at least by the get, you're just undoing a rabbinic institution. So maybe our standards would have been lower by a get. Okay, Kamash that that's not the way to read the Mishnah. That the debate here, it's, here is by Metatlin, by a get, the standards are higher and everybody requires Ramiza. Igadami, some say, Amrav Nachman, Kimachlokas, Metatlin, Kachmachlokas, Begitin. It's the same debate. Ben Mateo would allow the jumping up and down. says, but our Mishnah just says Metatlin. Ema after Metatlin. No. Even in Metatlin, they say this debate, but the debate also holds by get. And uh, so that's the question. But a Cherish can get married and can give a get the same way if it's a rabbinic marriage, a rabbinic get. But he has to do his Ramiza, his uh, gesturing, and Ben Mateo, according to the second approach, would say that even there, jumping up and down works. Okay. Now, Hapeuta, we move quickly now to the kids, the young kids. Mekar, Mekar, Memkar, 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 They can also buy and sell like chattel. So the Lord says, now, Ad Kama, until what age, meaning down, can they, uh, you know, how old do they have to be? Um, so, Mahvi, Rav Yehuda, Rav Yitzhak, Rei, Kivar, Shish, Kivar, Shev, so, uh, so Rav Yehuda indicated to Rav Yitzchak his son like six or seven. So, so now saying like six or seven means that there's no exact amount. But you do it like it sounds like a little case by case. Like you know, when they get to a certain level, the understanding of a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, enough to understand the meaning of what they're doing, how much money is, and whatever. You know, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I send my kids to like you know, there's a bagel store. I give them twenty dollars, they buy a bagel, or whatever, and they get the guy the rest for a tip or something. So <laughs> not exactly. I'm exaggerating a little. But anyway, I was mechila for my kids for that story. But anyway, so yeah, you understand how much money is and what you do with the change and what's the right thing and you're not being overcharged. Like at that age, okay, six or seven, whatever the case might be. <laughs> yeah, well, that's actually a good point. The juxtaposition and Silvery was here. He would have made that <laughs> as well, right? So they, I didn't go to me the juxtaposition, right, about gesturing and then gesturing. It's a good point. All right, anyway, um, no, actually, he wouldn't have made the point because it wasn't a pun. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway, Rav Kahana, Mark Kivar Shev, Kivar Tamni, seven or eight. The Masnisa Tani Kivar Tesha, Kivar Eset, nine or ten. So nobody knows exactly. I mean, not nobody knows, but there's all these different different uh, definitions. Rulo Pligi, these don't debate. Kochad Vachad, Lefi Chorfe. Everyone, you know, it depends how sharp they are. Of course, that's not very helpful because the question isn't, okay, so there's no exact biological age, but tell me what, like, level of intelligence you're looking for, right? That's not clear. Um, but anyway, all right. For time of mind, now why did they institute this? I'm going to remember by Yaakov and Yochanan, Mishum Like I told you, because the guy's got to you know live in the society. Now, of course, that's more of a case of a cheresh. But even kids, you know, they've got first of all that type of society wasn't just I got to be able to send my kid to the store. Sometimes, you know, by the time they're six or seven, they're out of the house. They're apprenticing themselves. You know, they they do have to fend for themselves a little bit. All right. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
he, he from very as a very young child he was sent out to really yeah. wow no okay um Okay. And he said to the one who was on the Maltecha, this is by Yoash, I think it is, um, take out the clothes for all those who worship the Baal. I'm sorry, Yehu. Take out the clothes for all those who worship the Baal. So my Maltecha, what is this Maltecha? The reason we're saying it is because it's the same, I'm Rav by Yaakov in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, the same Baal Memra. I'm Rav by Yaakov, I'm Rabbi Yochanan. So the Nimtach, something that is like, uh, you know, like a twist by the hands and stretched which means that it's like a um, it's a uh, what do you call it it's a um, uh, um, a linen garment that you know when you take linen it's like you know linen comes from these little balls of whatever you know uh, flax and you sort of spin it by the hand and it's stretched or whatever so there are these fancy linen garments so that's the word maltecha um, he also Rav Yochanan the only reason he quoted it is because it was the Rav Abba Bar Yaakov Amar Rav Yochanan he also Rav Yochanan Shigelo Bunayim Ben Nunayim so Bunayim ben Nunayim, maybe some big uh, Roman uh, person, sent to Rebbe. We mentioned Rebbe before, and this is going to be tied into the flat, to the linen garment. Sivni v'chumas salsula umalmala. These different types of fancy fabric garments. So what are sivni v'chumas? So that is amguza upalge damguza, like a nut and a half a nut. Rashi says what it means is it is such a fine and thin fabric that you could take a cloak that you put on your whole body and you fold it up and the whole size of it is just the size of a nut so that's how like thin and fine the fabric is or a nut and a half uh, so which is these other fabrics is kepistaka upagatpiskata that if you fold it up according to Rashi that would just be the size of a uh, what's this uh, pistaka again um, oh apparently gallnut is that how it translates pistaka pistachio oh pistachio I'm sorry okay it would just be the size of a pistachio and a half Okay, anyway, very fancy linen garments. My mamala, dover tach. And now we said the same type of etymology we gave before. Something that is like spun and stretched. Okay, now, back to our putos. If these putos overpay until how much, you know, when can it be, uh, when can the transaction be negate, you know, be avoided if they're going to make a mistake and overpay? Probably much more likely that they would overpay than underpay. People will take advantage of them. So, Amrib Yonam until a sixth like an adult which basically means the laws of an adult is is that if you overpay the market rate then up to a sixth the, the transaction is good and you get the overage back and more than a sixth actually the transaction is voided so it follows the same rules okay buy a buy now buy asks can they give a gift that's a really good question there's less of a reason to make that takana it's not normal transactions maybe more opportunity for them to be taken advantage of can they give a gift? It's not. It is a good gift. Um, so when they sent it to Rav Mordechai to ask his opinion, they, Rashi says this was accidental. They accidentally reversed the opinions of who said what. Okay, so they asked Rav Mordechai, they said, we've got this debate, it's a good gift, what's your opinion? And then they reversed who had said what. They said, Marbar of Ashi said it's no good, and Rav Yamer said it is good, which is the reverse of what they actually said. Okay, so Amr Leit, so when Rav Mordechai was asked, he said, Dilu Amr Labar Mar, go tell the, the son of my master, because his, Rav Ashi was his master. So Marbar Rav Ashi was his master son. So go tell Marbar Rav Ashi, I mean his, his Rebbe son. Go tell Marbar Rav Ashi. Now Marbar 
Baravashi really said it's good, but they reported to him that he said it's no good. So go tell Mar Baravashi, um, one minute, don't you remember the story? Kelly Kaimar, when the master, Ravashi, your father, my Rebbe, was standing, he was like walking up the steps, right? He says to the base medrash. He had one leg on the ground, one leg on the step. Okay, he was walking, he was reminding him about what the event was. Don't you remember the story? He was there, he was walking, he was half up the ground, half off the, you know, half on the ground, half on the steps. Um, and we said to him, Matanas Omai. Wait, wait, well, what's the story if a Pu'utos gives a gift? Okay? And Amar, and he said, Matanasso, Matana, it is good. Achas whether he gives it as a, on a deathbed. It's pretty scary to think about a, a, a six-year-old on a deathbed. Achas Matanasso, Bari, whether he gives it as a healthy person. Achas Matanasso, Maruba, whether it's big. Achas Matanasso, Buetes, whether it's small. It's good. And that, of course, Mabaravashi also said that it was good. He just, you know, it was just reported incorrectly. Tosu says, however, it does not say whether Metalkalin or Karka, which makes sense. Because here the question is, is that maybe a gift is worse than a transaction, but all we're talking about is in the context of Metalkalin. Karka doesn't work um, at all because, again, there was no need and it was a more, much more weighty transaction. Okay, now we switch from Tikkun Olam, explicit or implicit, to Mitnei Darchei Shalom. Mitnei Darchei Shalom is sort of le- is more about just to um Oh, that actually isn't me for once. Mignay Darchei Shalom is actually to just minimize fights. Okay, to, to adopt certain types of conventions, maybe maybe not completely arbitrary conventions, sometimes they might be arbitrary, but like in order to just minimize, you know, sources of conflict in a fight. Like, you know, we were recently learning in the yeshiva about uh, life cycles and about prismila and pigina ben, and everybody wants to know, okay, so like, wh- what, are, what are the rules about, like, who gets the right to, to name the baby? Does it go after the father's, you know, parents, the mother's parents, who gets the right? So, you know, I so basically said, look, you know, I can't get too excited about this, it's all just like you know minog there's no real halacha about this type of thing but the real purpose of knowing what the minog is is not that you should feel compelled to follow it but that it could make things less contentious if everybody knows there's a way of doing about it okay this is your turn then it's my turn or whatever so that's sometimes having certain conventions certain minhagim are just helpful that just you know heads off people getting into fights about everything there's a way that in which it's done okay so this is going to be the type of a dar shalom let's take a look um, and sometimes there'll actually be a logic behind this. The following things are said for the ways of peace. When you get an aliyah, Kohen, Levi, Yisrael. So they're obviously it's following a well-established hierarchy. Um, and, you know, in that way, there's not going to be regular fast course and they're still fighting for which aliyah you're going to get if you're in Yisrael. Okay? <laughs> like, uh, you know, I think I told you this story about, about I, I, I just read about, I knew a guy who basically, he was like, you know, very, very mocked on his cover. So, like, you know, the only aliyah he would ever, you know, he, he expected was, like, either Shlishi or Shishi. You know, Shishi's Hasidish is considered to be, like, the best aliyah anyway. So, one day, the god was a gabai. He didn't know who he was or whatever. He gave him, like, he gave him Chamishi. So, like, which is considered to be, like, the worst. Maybe Shvi is worse. I don't know. Anyway. So, the guy, whatever, he walked up, you know, it was, like, obviously a very, you know, a hush of a rub. Anyway, he walks up to the Sefer Torah. He takes out his sitter. He looks in it. He makes the bracha. You know, Baruch Hashem makes the bracha. So, the godly says to him, what? You don't know the bracha? He says, listen. 
Yisrael. Shlishi, I know. Shishi, I know. Hamishi, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so it's not like that there aren't fights over the Yisrael parts, but at least the basic structure puts a, you know, resolves a lot of fights, at least in, at least in the beginning, the get-go. Okay. Also because, um, and this actually is interesting when you think about it, the difference between, you know, there's something very egalitarian, and I don't mean that about the women's issue, but I don't exclude women's issue, about the whole uh, Chazal's approach to Talmud Torah. You know, it's like a kol olim leminyan shiva, right? A filu isha, filu katan, right? And a similar thing they say, right? You know, when they say, like, what's the sense of, like, priority of when you save somebody? Kohen before Levi, before Yisrael, but they say that's when they're all equal. But if you have a Talmud Chacham, Talmud Chacham, Mamzer comes before, it's Kohen Gadol Amaaretz, right? So Torah is the big equalizer. It's the exact, it's sort of like going back to the Gemara we read about Rabbi Yochim and Zakai, about rabbinic Judaism supplanting you know, Temple Judaism. Temple Judaism is all about hierarchy. Torah is all about, right, equal access, the big equalizer, and so on. Torah became Zavis Munach Lito Yavol Yito, right, as opposed to Keter Kahuna and Keter Malchus, right, that's the big equalizer. So, here you have this institution of Kriya Torah, and the real halacha is that you, the biggest Talmud Chacham, should get the first Aliyah. You know, it should all be about access to the Torah, and everybody, you know, that's why, in principle, a few Isha, etc., and and, uh, you know, and that's why, uh, but of course, the problem with that is, is that then you're always going to get into fights. Because I'm a bigger Tabu Chacham, I'm a bigger Tabu Chacham. So on the one hand, it's the big equalizer, but you don't know, you know, because you don't have that sort of well-defined sort of hierarchy, you know, predefined just by somebody's status as opposed to somebody's accomplishment. So, you know, that's the flip side of that sort of egalitarian thing is you don't know anybody's pre-assigned role. Okay, so that's here. They sort of reinstituted this hierarchy even in the context of Kriya Satora, Mikne Darche Shalom. Um, oh yeah that's a good point too right and who is the greatest and who achieves that greatness right so it allows everybody equal access but then we can always be fighting about who's in which position as opposed to a well established hierarchy which makes it very clear who's in which position okay so um, okay when you have an Erev in a Tchum well you know in a, excuse me in a, not an Erev Tchum an Erev Chaseros you have all these courtyards or houses that get together um, and they put all the you know, and they have a, like a box of matzahs. They have some bread that's stored in one house to allow them to be considered like one rishos um, to carry in it. So they would store it in one of the houses. So you have to. So if it has been stored in a particular house, you keep it in that house. You don't start putting it in a different house. We'll see why that will matter. If you had a well that was near a, um, a what's it called? A canal, an irrigation canal. So you had basically the canal, which was, uh, you know, it was here, or it was a river or something like this, or it was a canal, okay, that was going down here, and here would be the fields, okay, and people would be irrigated by that water, but sometimes it would dry up, so what people wanted to do is they would want to store some of the water, you know, for those types of eventualities. So you would put a dam here, you'd put some type of a blockage, you know, it would, the water would like rise up, and you'd like draw the water and put it in your well, and then it would go down and somebody else could do the same and they would store water in their wells you know for an eventuality when it was 
not in that canal. So the question is, who has the right to be the first one to store the water in case it's scarce, you know, or in case whatever, there's a fight about who gets to store it first. So we basically said the one that's closer to the out, you know, the, uh, the outlet of the water, where, where it starts flowing from, is the one that has the first right to fill it. If you have traps of birds or wild animals, so I've now trapped this animal, but how did I take possession of it? I'm not gonna, it's going to be until tomorrow until I go back to my trap, you're going to come up, up upon it first. You could say, you know, it's not yours. You didn't physically take possession. Now, if, if the trap actually counts as my clee and it's in my clee, then I might be cone it through a Kenyan clee. But that's not always the case, right? So, so there's what they said. In that case, we'll treat you as the owner because of Darche Shalom. It's that's a case where it's not just about fighting over, like, you know, I mean, again, these, some of that cases, might, you might have thought that's a little more tikkun olam than Darche Shalom. But anyway, you know, it's not just a fight. It's a real question of like you have to a- enable trappers to own the thing that they trap, <laughs> right? Just in order to allow that institution to exist. Anyway, okay. Rebios Yomer Gezo Gomer. Rebios says, no, 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 that's real theft. The Gemara is going to say he, mean, he doesn't mean Doraita theft, he means rabbinic theft, but he basically says the rabbis didn't just create a convention that you're allowed to keep it, they actually made you the owner of it, okay? And it becomes real Gezo. who are not considered adults and whatever they find something, they can't really halachically take possession of it, although we allowed pu'utos before, but anyway, um, but that's a transaction. Anyway, this might not be even younger than that age, but, so technically they don't own it, but we say if they find something, they are, allowed, they are considered to be the owner because of Darche Shalom. No, 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 it's real gezo. Again, the Gemara is going to say it means rabbinically, we made them the real owners. We didn't just establish a convention. This is similar to these other cases, like the trapper case. You've got a poor person who went up to the top of an olive tree, maybe it's a Hefker olive tree, and he's knocking down the olives from the top of the tree, and you're at the bar, and you happen to be walked by, and you say, oh, look at all these olives, and you just take them. Okay? <laughs> so, he doesn't own them yet, he hasn't done Hagba, he hasn't done a Kenyan, he just got them all down from the tree. So, in that case, it would be considered theft to take what's below because of Darche Shalom, and the Yosem No, no, real theft. Okay, exactly what the difference is, we'll see, but anyway, we got the idea. Technically, he doesn't own it, but you have to let him own it. Treat it as if he owns it. This is a dark Shalom that people are more familiar with, but when we get up to it, it's going to be important to put it in this context of the Darche Shalom that we first have seen. If you have the poor of non-Jews who are coming to collect to the fields and collecting Lekach when the, you know, when, the, when it's being left for, for, for all the Aniyim, you don't stop them for the sake of Darche Shalom. Okay, so normally Darche Shalom is saying like, you know, so we should get along nice with our non-Jewish neighbors. Sometimes it's tr- translated as very self-serving so that they should be nice to us. We have to be nice to them. But already we're seeing that that's not what Darche Shalom means. Darche Shalom is speaking much more centrally to a value of Shalom, to a value of doing things in order that it's a type of a peaceful society, a well, you know, well-running type of a society in which people respect other people's rights and so on. So anyway, or at least ways in which we don't get into fights. Let's take a look at the Gemara. Minani Mili. Where's this idea from that we try to do th- that, uh, that Kohanim, uh, we give them the first Aliyah? Amar Av Masna Damar Kradavar says, Moshe So it's giving the Torah, so it's about access to the Torah, and he gives it to the Kohanim and then, and B'nai Levi. Of course, Kohanim are B'nai Levi, Nidu. To tell you, when it comes to the Torah, first it's Kohanim and then it's B'nai Levi. Okay, this is a nice Okay, Reb 
which is fine, but it wasn't as directly uh, relevant as the example of giving the Sefer Torah. So there you see Aaron is separated off holy of holies and more than Moshe, who is a lazy. Okay, now it's all that saying, so that's just saying that a Kohen has a higher level of Kedushah, a higher status, that's not directly about uh, an aliyah to the Torah, which is then going to raise the question that the Gemara is going to turn to. The Pasuk by Kohanim, you should sanctify him. Anything relating to a matter of, of sanctity or showing status, that they get to open first, like, you know, to give us the first speech or the first Russia. Um, uh, or if you're like, I don't know, like handing out, uh, you know, you're taking around the platter of chicken, he gets the first choice. Okay, so it's not talking about financial matters of like dividing up an estate or something like that. That's already a different story. But anyway, but when it's just a matter of kavod, okay? So that's where you get it from. Of course, now it's no longer Darche Shalom. Right? Now it's not just an Asmacht, and now it's like, wait a minute. So there's a real Doraisa concept of giving him these honors. So Amar Uleya Bayel Rav Yosef, so Bayel said Rav Yosef, he made Darche Shalom Doraisa. So it's not just Darche Shalom, it's Doraisa. We're supposed to, in, in cases of status and showing honor and showing status, we're supposed to afford him that status. So that would translate to Kriya Satoris. Even if the institution of Kriya Satoris rabbinic, mm-hmm. the idea of when you have proper settings you show him dishonor that's a Dorice idea so let's see what Rav Yosef said back so um, um, yes it's Torah and the Torah is telling us to do it now that's funny so that's not why the Torah is telling us to do it the Torah is telling us to do it because the Torah is saying they're of a higher status and you have to acknowledge that that's not a Dorice Shalom that's acknowledging what it means to be of a higher Kiddushan the role that they play and the importance that that has in society Anyway, somehow you could fit that in maybe the Dark Hisham. Anyway, Abai doesn't like this. Abai says, Kola Torah Kula Dami Midarchalam. So let's just say that every Bill Rice is Dark Shalom. Everything in the Torah is ultimately rooted in a concept of Shalom. This is a very powerful statement. Everything is a way of peace. Okay. We're going to come back to that Pasuk later where we get to the issue about relations with non Jews and Dark Shalom. Rambam uses that Pasuk in that discussion, so keep that in mind. But anyway, he's saying you can't say this is Darche Shalom because it's from the Torah then, you know, then you can use that phrase to explain anything that's in the Torah we want to believe it's all based on a principle of Shalom so El Amar Bayi Lichid Amar like what Mar, the, the Master teaches which is uh, 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 Rashi says it's uh, I forget who the Mar is here um, anyway where, where's Rashi um, oh Rabbi Bar Nachmeni uh, like that's like Rabbi's teaching the time he's on the Bar he says if, two, if, if you're eating lunch with somebody and the other guy is like coming washing his hands or whatever he's doing he's coming late to the table you wait for him to get to the table before you start start digging in you know digging into the uh, food and taking the chicken off the platter if there are three people though and one guy's taking his time so you don't have to wait for him okay so so these are like laws of Su'uda the one who broke the bread he's the one that gets to first dip his bread into the, uh, the dips in the middle of the table okay but if you want to give honor you know even though you're the one who broke the bread to your master or to somebody who's of greater status you're allowed to okay and Rabbi explains 
explain this Allah. Lo The idea that you're allowed to be mochel on your kavod if you're the gadol abayis, if you're the person who broke the bread, that's at a meal, that's at a home-based type of thing. But not in a show, because it'll lead to fights, which means what? What the way Rashi explains it is the answer is the following. You know what? You're right. Giving the Kohen the first Aliyah, that's a Doraisa, because of Kiddush But, let's say the Kohen wants to say, I'm Mochel, I know this is my honor, but I want to give it to my good friend first. I'm Mochel, I want him to go before me. He's a big Talmud Chacham, he's my Rebbe, and so on. So that's where the rabbis come and say, we're not going to let you do that. We're not going to let you be Mochel on your Kavod. Why? Because what will happen if we let you be Mochel on your Kavod? Then, <laughs> then everybody's going to want, well, you can, why didn't you let me go? Why weren't, didn't you give me the other? It, 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 it leads to the Darche Shalom problems. Once, yes, yeah, so showing the honor is a Doraita, but making sure that it keeps that way, and the Quranim don't start being mocha on the cover, which then could just lead to fights, that's what is, that's the rabbinic. Uh, just read, uh, let me just, I guess that's, um, let's just read one more line. Amarav Masna, Hadam, it's the Vesak Nesses, lo, that that a Kohen can't be mocha on this cover in the show, lo Amanela B'Shabbos is Yomim Tovim. That's only on Shabbos and Yantiv, the Shrihi Rabim, that there's a big crowd in show. See, nothing ever changes. On Mondays and Thursdays, lo, there's not a big crowd, so he could be mochel on his cover. It's not a big deal. Okay? So, uh, you know what? Let's not start this. We'll, we'll pick up with this point tomorrow. Okay. So more on Kohanim and Aliyot and Darche Shalom tomorrow.